We pray. So, Father, I thank you that you speak to your people and that you lead us step by step and you show us the way. I thank you, God, that uh, that we can be forerunners and that uh, we can continue to run ahead because we have the Holy Spirit leading and guiding. And sometimes we need to to let go of of the old in order to step into the new. And maybe that's part that's part of what the message is here today. So I thank you for those who have gathered today, and I pray that each would receive a personal touch, a personal touch from Holy Spirit. So let me dive into the teaching and, and pray. I don't get too bogged down. You know I love to teach. <laughs> now that I've admitted, Holy Spirit told me, Donna, 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 don't spend six hours <laughs> wrestling with your teaching. <laughs> they want you to pray. So uh, let's let's pray that we get wings to get to the point. I want to make sure I'm coming through loud and clear. I'm just going to check over here in the feedback box. Coming through loud and clear. Okay, got it. Great. Wonderful. I want to challenge you today to do the thing you dread because there's blessing on the other side of your fear. Dread is to fear something with a strong emotional response. A physical impact is to be immobilized. What does it mean to dread? To dread means to fear something, again, with a strong emotional response and in such a way that it actually has a physical impact on you. Very often it has the effect of immobilizing us. Dread causes us to put off doing things we should get done and to avoid facing things that we really ought to face. That's kind of where we're going to focus today. Procrastination is almost always a manifestation of dread. And clearly, we cannot live a life that counts and step into our destiny for the kingdom when we are immobilized by dread. So consider the ways, and that's what I want to do today, I want to consider the ways that dread might be robbing you of your destiny. And I want to give the example of Jacob. Okay, so I'm just going to give a little bit of backstory. And you, you know his story in the Bible. He lived and worked with his father-in-law. But he, and, and he owed him seven years for the first wife and seven years for the second wife. And, and he volunteered for those sec, second seven years. If you read into it, he came up with that himself. He agreed to the second seven. It was his idea. And then even long after he had fulfilled his obligations, he, he stayed there. He stayed in that place long after he was obligated to. Even though the man repeatedly lied to him, cheated him, changed his wages time after time. Sometimes we stay in a situation that we really need to let go of and and move on from. Okay, so his father-in-law was not somebody kind of worth sticking around. But Jacob stayed year after miserable year. Why? Maybe for a lot of reasons, but I think that the underlying reason was because he dreaded going home to face his twin brother Esau. And if you know the Bible, you know their history. Do you have any relatives or someone in your past that you don't want to face? Maybe it's someone or something in your life right now that that you dread dealing with. So you just you just keep putting it off and you're stuck. I mean, you do a survey of people right now. Do you feel stuck? Do you, in some area of your life, feel stuck right now? Do you need to get unstuck? Jacob was stuck. Just going through the motions. 
And finally, Jacob's situation became so unbearable that he decided to head home. Now, he sent messengers laden with bribes to face his brother before he had to face him. And by the way, that's always a good idea. If you're afraid to face somebody in person, yeah, send them a present, right? <laughs> send them some flowers or a fruit or some Amazon gift card, something. And this is all from Genesis 32. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau, and now he's coming to meet you and 400 men are with him. So this sounds really scary. Sometimes when you take that first step in the direction that you think you need to go to change your life, and it, it, maybe the first thing you see is something that looks kind of scary, and you're like, whoa, maybe this was not such a good idea. The Bible tells us that in great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, in the flocks and herds and, and camels as well. He thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that's left may escape. So now he's starting to strategize. How, how can he minimize his losses? See, right now he's not even thinking about a better life. Now he's like, okay, I'm stuck. I took a step. Now the best I can hope for is to minimize my losses. Not exactly a prosperity mindset, right? And then Jacob had a really good idea. He prayed. That's a good idea. Oh, God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, oh, Lord, who said to me, this is a good idea too. It, say, you know what God, you said. And we have the advantage of a whole book of stuff God said. And we have the freedom to pick that book up and turn to any page and say, you know what, God, I'm a child of promise. And in this book right here, you said. Or if God has given us a prophetic word and we've had confirmation and we're sure of it. Then we can have the boldness to say, you know what, God, you said. This is what you said to me. And I'm standing on your promise and believing that you're going to be good to your word. And Jacob did that. He said, you know, you're the one who said, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. And he's not being arrogant. He comes in in a combination of boldness and humility. He's like, God, this is your promise, and I'm, I know I don't deserve anything, but you're the one who promised it. I'm unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you've shown your servant. I'm not coming to you because I'm worthy and deserve your promises. I'm coming to you because you've made those promises, even though I'm not worthy. And that's the same spirit that we need to come in. I'm coming because you've promised me an abundant life, not based on who I am or what I've done, but on what Jesus did and on your character. And he's realistic. He's like, look, God, when I came to you, I didn't have a whole lot to offer. I, I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan. But now I've become two groups. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau. I'm afraid. He's honest. It's okay to be honest with God. So you can be bold, humble, and honest all in one prayer. Look at that. I'm afraid. I'm trying to be bold here, trying to walk in faith, but being honest. I'm unworthy and I'm afraid. Th those things can all come together. God can handle all that stuff. Isn't that amazing? I'm afraid he will come and attack me. And also the mothers with their children. He spelled out to God exactly what he was afraid of. And we can do the same. You know, facing dread, it, it's always a struggle. This is, this is never easy for anybody. It wasn't easy for them, not easy for us. 
Clearly, Jacob is filled with dread, but he's walking steadfastly forward for one reason. And we find it in verse 12. But you have said, but you have said, Jacob was afraid, but he's doing what he believed God had told him to do. And that's what gave him the boldness. In the New International Version, there are two subtitles included in chapter 32, and they are Jacob prepares to meet Esau. There's a little mistake there. It should be Jacob prepares to meet Esau, and then Jacob wrestles with God. Those are the two subtitles. And although those words were added after the text was written, I truly believe they're God-inspired. That's exactly what Genesis chapter 32 is all about. And we need to make the connection. Jacob is preparing to face his brother Esau, and that is why he's wrestling with God. I think it's unfortunate sometimes that these two events are rarely connected in our minds or, or in the messages that we hear. And it's critical for us to make the connection. God had asked Jacob to do something that he absolutely positively didn't want to do. He dreaded it. He was struggling with God, but pressing forward in obedience anyway. He was wrestling and pressing forward. Did you know that you can do them both at the same time? Well, I'm wrestling with God. That's not an excuse to not press forward. Notice the timing and the context. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So he's got a little bit of strategy here. You know, he's, he's trusting God, but taking action. He's, he's wrestling with God. He's moving forward in faith, but he's also trying to have kind of a strategy and be wise about this thing. And, and that's okay to him. And then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. See, here's, here's Jacob's perspective. His father-in-law had deceived him and taken advantage of him. His brother had threatened to kill him. That's why he ran away from home in the first place. Now, 400 men are apparently coming against him. And now this guy is wrestling with him. Everybody is out to get Jacob. And he's like, God, you know, could I get a, could I get a blessing here? Could I get a break here? Everything is against me. And he's just the innocent victim here. But what is God's perspective? From God's perspective, it's time for Jacob to own his part. Why? Because when you are a powerless victim, life is out of your control. You didn't cause your problems, so there's no way for you to resolve your problems. But when you recognize that you have a role in creating your problems, in creating your current circumstances, that life is not mysterious, then suddenly you are empowered to resolve them with God's help. I'll tell you the most dangerous trend, the most destructive thing that we can do to any person or group of people is convict them that they're just a powerless victim and everything in their life is somebody else's fault. Because if everything in your life is someone else's fault, then there's nothing you can do to change it. If you are where you are, completely at the mercy 
of people and circumstances around you, then you are powerless, powerless to move forward. But if you recognize that you have a part to play in it, that part of your past unfolded the way it did because of choices that you made and things in your own character, far from being disempowering, that's actually empowering. And that is a big part of what God is showing us here. Jacob was wrestling with God, but he also needed to wrestle with his own role in the whole sorry mess. He needed to wrestle free of the victim mentality. There is freedom, power, and courage in stepping up to life with a victor's mentality. The man said, what's your name? In other words, God's saying, you know, Jacob, I know, I know you can name all the people who have done you wrong, all the villains in your life who've rendered you the helpless victim here, powerless over your own life and destiny. But who are you? Do you maybe have a role in your past? Because if you do have a role in your past, if you do have a role in the things that have brought you where you are at this moment, then you can know for certain that in the same way, you can have a role in shaping your future. And that is very empowering. See, it's, it, it's hard enough to face the villains in our, in our life. It, it's much more difficult to face the victim mentality in ourselves honestly. Maybe in some way more than Jacob dreaded facing his brother. I think he dreaded facing the truth about himself, but it had to be done. So God posed the question designed to enable him to look himself in the mirror. Jacob, he answered. What does Jacob mean? Deceiver. Jacob said, bless me, bless me. And God's answer was, what's your name? Deceiver. Hmm, maybe that's, maybe, could, could that be the thing standing in between you and the blessing that you're asking for? Could it be something in your character? Could it be something in your own behavior pattern that is blocking the blessing of God? Could it be not God's reluctance to bless you, but something in your character? that's preventing you from receiving the blessings that God is eager to give. Jacob means deceiver. And that's what Jacob was. If we go back to the day these twins were born, we discover that Jacob came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Jacob means he grasps the heel and figuratively he deceives. See, we need to overcome the victim mentality if we're ever going to step into the victim mindset, the victor's mindset which is the key to a life of blessing. Jacob had done his part in this whole sorry mess. He had played a part, a huge part in creating it. Whether he wanted to face it or not, he could not move forward until he took some ownership. And then from that empowered position, he could find the courage to move forward. Life just didn't happen to him. It also happened because of him. And that's actually very good news. Seriously. See, it was Jacob who had taken advantage of his brother at a vulnerable moment to rob him of his birthright. It was Jacob, with help from his mom, who had deceived his dad and robbed Esau of his father's blessing. See, the Bible makes it plain that Esau had problems of his own and could easily be cast as a villain. So I'm not, I'm not making light of that truth, but I'm not talking about Esau. 
Okay. In the New Testament, God himself says he didn't like Esau either. I forgot to put the verse in there. Sorry. But that's not the point. Right now, God wants Jacob to own his part. The truth about Esau won't set Jacob free. It's amazing. And I do the same thing. We all do. We spend so much time and energy trying to prove, you know, all the people who've done us wrong and all the circumstances. It, it, but none of that's going to empower us or set us free. It's not going to help us. You could tell everybody who meets you the whole story of all these horrible things that have been done to you, and it won't do one thing to move you forward, not one thing, not one thing to move you forward, not one. The truth about Esau will never set Jacob free. The truth about Esau, the truth about your ex-husband will never set you free. The truth about your former employer will never set you free. The truth about the pastor who betrayed you will never set you free. The truth about the boss who cheated you will never set you free. The truth about all the people who've done you, not, not one drop of truth about anyone who has ever hurt you in your entire life will ever set you free. The only truth that can ever set us free is the truth about ourselves. Only the truth about Jacob can set Jacob free. He had hurt his brother. He had a major character flaw that God wanted to deal with before he could bless him. God always deals with our character first. I don't like it either. We want the blessing of God. Does everybody want the blessing of God? I want the blessing of God. You know, I read Deuteronomy and I read those lists of blessing, blessed in the city, blessed in the country, blessed when I come in, blessed when I go out, blessed in the land, blessed in the sea, blessed in the... I want all the blessings of God. Bless me. Me too, Father. God says, for sure, for sure, my heart is to bless you. But the first step on the road to my blessing is dealing with your character and correcting our faulty thing, thinking. Because here's the reality. Until we break free of that victim mentality, the blessing of God will not benefit us. Because even when God gives us a blessing, we will, we'll, we'll throw it away. Esau's a perfect example. He threw his, God blessed him. He inherited all those blessings. He had no value for them. He just threw them away. We need a victor's mindset so that when we receive the blessings of God, we hold on to them and prosper because of them. See, even if God blesses someone with a victim mentality, they squander the blessing. We, we see it all the time. Perfect example, uh, professional football players, Mike Tyson, didn't he make a half a billion dollars and then declared bankruptcy? He had all these blessings, but he couldn't hold on to them. Esau, again, perfect case in point. What did he do with the blessing so freely bestowed upon him at birth? He threw him away. We value what we wrestle for. We rarely value something handed to us. Come on. Come on. Character first. We value what we wrestle for. We rarely value something handed us. In that moment, as Jacob uttered his own name, I think something happened. I think a light dawned. I think he owned his stuff. He's like, yeah, you know, I guess I was a deceiver, wasn't I? I, I guess I do need to take some of the blame here. It, this mess is kind of my fault. And I'm going to have to take responsibility. I must dare to face it, even though I dread it. If you've been at WEU any length of time, you know, one of our number one prayers is, Lord, show me me. 
because only the truth about me can ever set me free. Only the truth about me can open the door to a life of blessing. Why do we spend so much time focusing on what everybody else has done wrong? It'll never change our lives. Never. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Meeting God halfway. See, I believe what God was saying to Jacob was this. I know you didn't want to come here. You didn't want to face your brother. You dreaded it, but you dared to do it out of obedience to me because you overcame your dread. All he did was take his hand and he hasn't even met him yet. He was just willing to meet God halfway because you overcame your dread and were willing to take a step in a difficult direction because I asked you to do it. I'm going to bless you and give you a new name. God is, God is just asking you to take some steps. When we demonstrate our willingness to face uncomfortable truths about ourselves, we show him we're serious about partnering with him to fulfill our destinies. And when God sees that, he's ready to unleash the blessings of heaven on our lives because now he knows he can trust us to, to value them and not to squander them, not to trade them away for a bowl of soup. See, it's easy to do easy things, right? Israel means struggle. His name means he was willing to do things that weren't easy. It's easy to do easy things. But will you dare to do some hard things, some things you dread? That, that's where the blessings are. That's the road to a life that counts. And sometimes we have to go backward to go forward. And I could show you a bunch of these in the Bible. I just listed a couple. Sometimes we must go back the way we came. God told Jacob, go back the way you came. Same instructions he gave to Elijah when he was hiding in the cave, dreading the thought of facing Jezebel. God said, go back. Same thing he told Moses. Got to go back. Now go back. I'm going to send you back. It's it's amazing how often you see that in the Bible. Before you can go forward, you're going to have to go back. After you go back, then you can go forward. Even Jesus had to go back to his hometown. Where he knew they wouldn't receive him. And here's the thing, even though God told Jacob to do it and promised to bless him, it didn't make it any easier. It was still hard. God never said it would be easy. He just said it was necessary if Jacob wanted to move forward to a life that really counted. Is there a place you may have to go back to before you can go forward? Is there something in your past you need to own before you can step into the blessings of God? And my guess is the answer is yes, otherwise you wouldn't be here right now. Amen. And I guess the question we need to ask ourselves, and I can't answer this for you, is okay, okay. Honestly, most people, for most people, okay is okay. I'm not okay with okay. But maybe you're okay with okay. If you're okay with okay, yeah, just forget this message. You don't need it. Jacob had an okay life, right? He had a beautiful wife. He adored also stuck with her ugly sister. He had a whole tribe full of kids. He had lots and lots of stuff. He had more stuff than he needed. He had to get storage units. And he had so much stuff. He could have stayed in town with his father-in-law until he died. He could have stayed there. It was okay. 
But I don't believe he would have fulfilled his destiny in the kingdom of God. I don't think he would have experienced the blessings of God if he hadn't dared to do the thing he dreaded most. He didn't want to go back. He didn't want to face it. In fact, notice God said, if you return, then I will bless you. If, then yes. If not, then no. If 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 you want it, then take the journey, take the step, and I'll bless you. If you don't, okay, that's fine. You can have an okay life. I, I think it's the same thing. I, I, I really, truly, sincerely believe this. We can choose an okay life and God will love you exactly the same amount and you'll be in heaven forever with Jesus. That is okay. If you want okay, great. You want a blessed life? That's that's a different journey. A little bit harder journey. If you want to live an ordinary life, a so-so existence, you have that option. Just stay right where you are. Don't change a thing. But you will never enter into your destiny. You will never experience the blessings of God. You will not live a life that counts unless you're willing to dare to do what you dread most. Facing your fear. That's what it's all about. Will you dare? Jacob dared to face his greatest fear. He didn't want to face his brother. He didn't want to go back. He didn't want to face the truth about who he was or the mistakes he had made. He was so afraid he was finally going to get what he had coming to him. That's it. But is that what this trip home was about? No, God God wasn't trying to set him up to get what was coming to him. God wanted to bless him, just like he wants to bless you. When God asks you to do the difficult things, when he asks you to face the truth about who you are, the people you've hurt, the mistakes you've made, it's not because he's out to get you, right? Jacob was terrified to face his brother, but watch what happens. Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Wow, that's really scary. Wow, I mean, if this was a horror movie, we'd need to have that bump, 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 really scary shark attack sound. Oh, this is so terrifying. Are you scared? Are you shaking in your boots? That's so scary. I mean, I can see why Jacob spent all those years dreading that. That is so scary. Yeah, I mean, I can totally see how, this is New Jersey sarcasm here. I can see how he was so much better off with his crooked father-in-law. Yeah. Of course, the gifts paved the way. <laughs> and his new life showed that he wasn't the same person anymore, too. I Maybe we need to ask better questions. If you're in the best year class, that's one of the themes. Don't ask what's the worst that could happen. How about what's the best that could happen? Jacob manufactured and then responded to a situation that didn't even exist. How many of you have tried that at home? (laughs) Is it possible that you're doing the same? Is it possible that that person or situation you dread facing, it means change. Sometimes we create something out of nothing. Jacob had clearly created something out of nothing. At the very least, he has blown the situation completely out of proportion. Don't miss Esau's sense of humor here. He says, so what do you mean by all these droves I met? To find favor in your eyes, my Lord, Jacob says. Esau said, look, I've got plenty. Okay, keep keep what you have. I don't need your stuff. Here's a hug. I just want to give you a hug and a kiss and, and reconcile. Here's a great irony to consider. Esau never actually did anything to Jacob. Never. Right? Well, actually, all he ever did was talk about him behind his back. That's the worst thing he ever did. 
Oh boy, this is hitting a little close to home for somebody. I mean, there's someone you think is the worst villain, the most horrible person. You don't even think they're going to get into heaven. And really, then all they ever really did was talk about you behind your back. But Jacob is terrified to face him. Get my, you know what? I get, I think it's his own guilty conscience. The truth is Jacob did far worse things to Esau than Esau ever did to him. Jacob is the one who actually, in point of fact, did real damage to Esau. That's interesting. Hmm. That might be too much of an ouch hallelujah. I, I may have to move on there. The, the Bible says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. Here's the point. God wasn't requiring Jacob to become best buddies with Esau. He didn't require him to allow Esau back into his life. Esau actually says, hey, we could be best friends. We could live together and, you know, won't it be great? And God's not requiring that. Jacob's like, mm. God didn't tell him, you know, let, let, let their kids grow up together and reunite their families, which is what Esau suggested. God simply said, go face yourself by facing him. And then we can move forward to those blessings that you've been asking me for. Sometimes we dread taking a step of obedience because we actually think God is requiring more than he is. Can somebody write that one down, please? Seriously, write that one down. These two brothers went their separate ways, but they were at peace with each other. Sometimes that's all God asks. Write this one down. People will almost always ask more of you than God requires. People will almost always ask more of you than God requires. Esau wanted more than reconciliation, more than God required. And good thing Jacob didn't go in for it. To, to be careful. We want to be well-balanced. God never said, you know, Jacob, go back to Esau and you two are going to be buddies and your friend, your kid, raise your kids together and, you know, spend all your vacations together and be best friends and business partners. Mm -mm, no. It's just reconcile. Go back, face him, reconcile. That's it. God's objective is peace. Jesus said, peace, I leave you. My peace, I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Dread is a form of fear. And the Bible clearly states, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. So don't let your hearts be, here's what the Amplified Version says, and I really like it. <clears throat> do not let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Stop allowing yourselves to be agitated and disturbed. Do not permit yourselves to be fearful and intimidated and cowardly and unsettled. I think that makes it clearer, doesn't it? Actively choose to live in peace, even if it means you have to take the first step. Psalm 34, 14 says, seek peace and pursue it. It's not going to drop down out of heaven upon you. If you want your life to count, you want to step into your destiny, then you absolutely positively will have to do things, lots of things that you're tempted to dread and avoid.
You'll have to be the one who takes the first step to heal hurting relationships, to have difficult conversations, to make hard choices. The reality is the enemy tries to pawn off dread. Dread is, is, it's his dread. He's the one who's dreading. He's dreading you stepping into your destiny. He's dreading the damage that you're going to do when you're living that life of blessing and fulfillment and walking in your destiny. He's the one filled with dread and he's trying to pawn that dread off on you. So you don't really own that dread. It's his. And so the question today is, is dread blocking your destiny? What is it that you dread? Guess what? That's exactly what the enemy of your soul dreads you'll do because it's more than likely the very thing that will open the door, the road to your destiny. Jacob was on the road to becoming Israel, on the road to his destiny and the unlimited blessings of God, on the road to ushering in the king of kings. No wonder the enemy wanted to block the path. What do you dread? Making a phone call? Healing a relationship? Getting your life in order? Going back to school? Changing jobs? Starting your own business? Launching a new ministry? Writing a book? Booking an event? You can be sure of this. Dread as a form of fear cannot possibly be from God. Dread is from the devil who's trying to prevent you from experiencing God's blessings and letting your life count. And believe me, he's con- he's trying to convince you that it's going to, it's going to be hard, but he's trying to convince you it's going to be way harder than you, than you're even, than it is. And that God's requiring may w- way more than he's requiring. Whatever you dread most, it's probably the very thing God wants you to do so that he can bless you. Unless, of course, you dread sinning, but that's another message for another day. If you dread exercise, it's because the enemy dreads to see you exercise. He dreads the thought that you might become truly fit to serve your king. He likes you sick and tired, unable to get off, get up off the couch. He dreads what exercise might do for your total well-being. He dreads that you might feel so energized and empowered that you start doing serious damage to his cause. If that's you, go to DonnaParto.com forward slash yes and sign up for the next 90-day renewal. If you dread writing that book, it's probably because the devil knows you're called to be an authority on that subject. So go to DonnaParto.com forward slash authority and find out how to get your book in print and on Kindle in just 30 days. If you dread launching out in ministry, it's because the enemy knows you have a message the world desperately needs to hear. So go to DonnaParto.com forward slash message. Some of you have decidophobia. Have you ever heard of this? Decidophobia? It's the abnormal dread of making decisions. And I, you know, you know me, I've got that sense of humor. But I mean, is your life really that great right now? That you wouldn't dare make a change because you might blow the whole thing to pieces? I mean, is your life really that great? Maybe it is. I doubt it. Make a great decision right now. Decide that you will dare to do the very thing you dread. Stop dreading risks. You've probably heard me quote this a million times if you've been at WEU, but researchers surveyed people over the age of 90 and asked, what would you do differently if you could live your life all over again? And one of the top three answers was, I would risk more. Why are you avoiding and dreading the one thing that people looking back on their life wish they had done more of? The other two, I would do more significant things. In other words, I would let my life count and I would reflect more. In other words, I would seriously consider whether or not the things I was devoting my life to actually counted for something. Why don't we take a chance? Why don't we sing that song, write that book, register for that class, sign up for that mission trip, go back to school, pursue that degree, look for a better job? We're afraid of what people might think. 
And it just seems safer to, you know, stay stuck. To stay stuck. Jacob could have stayed in that okay life. But God had more. Teddy Roosevelt. It's not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again. There's there's no effort without error and shortcoming. The credit belongs to the one who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails, while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. It's time to do and dare. I love the way Eugene Peterson renders Ephesians 3.12. When we trust in him, we're free to say whatever needs to be said, bold to go wherever we need to go. Now that's a life that counts. Say what you need to say, do what you need to do, stop living in dread, stop avoiding, stop putting things off. Say what you need to say, do what you need to do, and get on with your life and be bold about it. We're here at the beginning of a brand new year. Let's resolve to live it with boldness. Let's expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Jacob wrestled with God. He didn't want to do what God had asked him to do. He dreaded it, but he dared to do it anyway. So God gave him a new name and a new life. He had to take that step of faith. God wanted to bless Jacob. He wasn't trying to trick him or punish him. God knew that before Jacob could move forward, before he could receive a new life and a new name, he had to face the truth about what he'd done to his brother. He had